Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to our new Orange and Brown podcast. I am your host, Ellis Williams. Compared to the sound quality you've gotten from this podcast in the past, I hope I sound a little more crisp and slightly better. Because from now on, we are recording this middle-of-the-week Orange and Brown podcast from our downtown Cleveland studio. Not only does that mean better sound quality, but we here at Cleveland.com want to give you, the listener, a longer, more in-depth, and personal look at your Cleveland Browns. Each week, I'll be joined by insider Mary Kay Cabot and the rest of our Browns coverage, including Dan Lobby and Scott Pascoe, to provide information, stories, and intellectual conversations that are fun, nuanced, and well worth your while. Simply. It is our goal to share Brown's insight that you can only find here on the Orange and Brown podcast. From insider info to film analysis and everything in between, we'll make you smarter while having some fun along the way. So I hope you'll join us on this new endeavor, like my own experiences here in Cleveland. For those of you that don't know, I'm the new guy. There will be some experimenting. We'll figure out what works and what won't. But with your feedback, this process will iron itself out. It'll take time. But let me ask y'all something. Have I ever let you down before? No, 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 I'm kidding. Don't answer that. But my point is, just roll with us, and it will all work out. We have a loaded show this week. Before we get to our guests, Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Lobby, here are fast five headlines that we'll provide each week to get you caught up on the latest surrounding the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are 2-4 and four coming off their bye week and are preparing for Sunday's game against the New England Patriots team that is and 7-0 and hitting on all cylinders. Tom Brady and the Patriots are back at practice after Monday night's 33-0 dismantling of the New York Jets. The Patriots' defense had another big day, blitzing from everywhere and forcing Jets quarterback Sam Darnold into four interceptions, a lost fumble, and a passer rating of 3.6. An ESPN microphone even captured Darnold on the sideline saying, quote, I'm seeing ghosts out there. What will Baker Mayfield see from the Patriots' defense on Sunday? That's a key storyline heading into the game. The Patriots may blitz early and often to challenge the Browns receivers, or they may play more zone and pressure Mayfield with four rushers. Or it could be a combination of both. You just never really know with Bill Belichick. Baker Mayfield and Browns coach Freddie Kitchens are determined to cut down on interceptions the rest of the season. Mayfield leads the NFL with 11 interceptions. That's the most by a Browns quarterback through six games since Paul McDonald threw 12 picks in 1984. McDonald finished with 23 that year, his first and only season as the Browns' full-time starter. Kitchens and his staff are pushing for more accurate throws by Mayfield and crisper, more precise routes by the receivers as a way to avoid big turnovers. The Browns are expecting to see a new member of the Patriots receiving corps, as well as some old faces this weekend. 
On Tuesday, the Patriots sent a 2020 second-round pick to the Falcons for receiver Mohamed Sanu. The veteran, who was in his fourth year with the Falcons, has 33 catches for 313 yards and one touchdown. The Patriots also featured some prominent former Browns like receiver Josh Gordon, defensive tackle Danny Shelton, and linebacker Jamie Collins, to name a few. Suspended running back Kareem Hunt returned to the Browns and is looking good in his practices this week. He had been banned from the team facility and has served six of his eight-game suspension for a couple off-the-field altercations that nearly ended his career. The 24-year-old Hunt led the NFL in rushing in 2017 as a rookie with the Chiefs. He had sports hernia surgery on August 29th and can play when the Browns host the Buffalo Bills on November 10th. When he returns, he'll give the Browns a dangerous one-two punch in the backfield with Nick Chubb, who leads the team with 607 rushing yards and six touchdowns. That concludes our Fast Five headlines. Before we take your questions from Football Insider, here's Mary Kay Cabot to tell you more about Football Insider and how you can sign up. Well, our Football Insider gives you extra great content on the Browns, more of what you want. We've got videos. We've got podcasts. On a regular basis, I will be texting you uh, probably a couple of times a day with some of the latest information on the Browns, thoughts, analysis about those things. At times, you will be the first to hear about some of those things. Uh, So at the water cooler, you can have some news for your friends. And it's so easy. All you have to do is click on the banner at the top of Cleveland Browns, cleveland.com slash browns. It's about the cost per month of a pumpkin spice latte. You can do this. Uh, So just go ahead, click there, and then you'll see how it works in terms of the texts. You'll get an exclusive piece of content from one of us each day. That's Ellis, Dan, Scott, Doug, me. Uh, We'll dig a little bit into the game, uh, different things like that. So again, for about $3.99 a month, uh, click on the the banner at the top of cleveland.com browns. Uh, Give it a try. Two weeks free trial. I think you're going to love it. All right. Our first question coming from the 440 area code. What do you guys think about using Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt together in the backfield? Our, another one of our insiders, Dan Lobby. I know you just wrote a great piece on this. Dan, your thoughts? I, I mean, I think they work really well together. Ch- Chubb's the workhorse. Kareem Hunt is a guy you can use in a lot of different ways. You can split him out wide. Uh, you can have them both on the field together. Uh, we've seen Dallas do it. Uh, you know, it helps Ezekiel Elliott's a great blocker. I, I don't know if Nick Chubb is that type of blocker, but you can have both those guys on the field together. Uh, Kareem Hunt, uh, Patrick Mahomes was a near-perfect 154 passer rating throwing to him last year. That's from Pro, from, uh, pro Football Focus. So, uh, you can do a lot of different things with him, and I don't think he takes anything away from Nick Chubb. You know, I do think that they will appear on the field a lot together, and I think that's great. But I also think there are so many weapons, good problem to have, but there's a lot of weapons on this football team. And now you're going to be trying to find ways to get the ball to Nick Chubb, to Kareem Hunt, to OBJ, Jarvis Landry, eventually David Njoku. Rashard Higgins. So I do think uh, that it's going to be difficult uh, to make and keep everyone happy. Even right now, when you look at the statistics, especially if they don't have the ball as much as they haven't had it lately, uh, you know, OBJ and Jarvis are kind of dropping down in the standings of receiving yards, receptions, and things like that. So I I do think there are a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah, look, I know turnovers common here in Cleveland amongst coaching staff but this team has a history of using two backs in the past a guy like Duke Johnson so I just would have a little pushback there do you think that due to the experience this team has with just Duke Johnson a year ago 
haven't they already proven that there is enough room for two backs to flourish in this offense? I mean, I think they can because, again, with Kareem Hunt, and, and Dan wrote about this, uh, you know, you can split them out wide. You can put them in the slot. You can use them in the passing game. But you essentially now have two workhorse backs that can both be the guy that can carry the ball 25 times a game, and that's not going to happen like that. But but also, I mean, Nick, Nick Chubb is playing too much right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's played almost every snap in this team's two close games. So you've got a guy now you can give Kareem Hunt a series or two series in a row. You can ride the hot hand a little bit. And, you know, I don't know that this works long term. Like if you turn around and sign Kareem Hunt for five years after this, I don't know that it works. But we don't even know if Kareem Hunt's going to be ready against the Bills. So, uh, you know, to me right now, Kareem Hunt's a guy who's not even making a million dollars. As long as he's willing to accept that role, you can get away with him being your secondary back. But I think Kareem, I mean, Nick Chubb, if you're trying to get Nick Chubb to January, he's carrying the ball too much. Yeah, and the other thing is, just in watching Kareem Hunt at practice yesterday, boy, was he having a good time. He was dancing. He was, you know, laughing with his teammates. He's got fresh legs. I asked Nick Chubb about that. He was like, well, yeah, he looks good. He hasn't done anything yet. So uh, he does have fresh legs right now. Last bit here on Kareem Hunt. Do you see him as someone who, like you said, Dan, will accept that role as a, a maybe change of pace third down back? He's used to being the primary guy and, and made a lot of headlines in KC. Is he ready to embrace that role? I mean, he better be. This is a guy that almost lost football. Like The the only reason he really has a job right now is because John Dorsey drafted him and was willing to sign him here. Maybe some other team would have signed him. But you know, right now, if you're Kareem Hunt, you should just be happy to be back on the field. And now John Dorsey has to hope, and the Cleveland Browns have to hope, that Antonio Callaway stays on the straight and narrow, that Kareem Hunt stays on the straight and narrow, because we have seen that some of these guys that come into the league with issues, with baggage, with problems – Uh, those have a tendency to continue. So they've got to keep an eye on them both. Yep, one guy off the field for a different reason is Rashard Higgins. Um, He was healthy to play uh, two weeks ago but did not see the field. Um, So our next question is from 419 Area Code. Simply, Mary Kay, is Hollywood Higgins going to play against the Patriots? You know, I'm going to say resoundingly yes. Hollywood Higgins will be out there against the Patriots, and that will be really good for Baker Mayfield because that's his go-to guy. That's his comfort zone. When he looks out there, he might not have to hold the ball as long as he have has, which is tied for, I th- no, he's actually fourth in the NFL right now, holding the ball at 2.9 seconds uh, per play because he's looking out there and not loving what he's seeing all the time. Now he's going to look out there, he's going to see Richard Higgins, and he's going to be able to release that ball a lot quicker. I think he's going to be happier. And, and it's going to be big in this game because we all saw Monday night you know, what this Patriots pressure can do. And so to have that one guy that you kind of trust, that you know he's going to be where you need him to be, and you can hit him for seven yards, eight yards, set up a second and two or something like that, um, it, he's going to be an important piece against this Patriots team. Where do you see Higgins fitting in? You know, he, they're running... Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and Antonio Callaway. And that was really what Freddie was trying to say, that he didn't have to go to four wide. They've been playing enough with two tight ends and two receivers or three and one tight end. Is there, though you think he'll play, is there a role here? Or is this team pretty set on Antonio Callaway being the number three receiver? Well, they have to create a package for Richard Higgins. What they have to do is decide that we are going to get him on the field in three wides, whether that occasionally means taking Jarvis off the field for a play, whether that means taking Antonio Callaway off the field 
and his speed, which is one thing they love. He can take the top off of a defense, and they like to have that element, especially when you're playing against a team like the Patriots when they are so good defensively, you want to be able to stretch the field. Uh, so you have to give up a little bit of something sometimes if you want to get Richard on there. But I think the benefits, again, in three wides, you got to get him on the field. Uh, the benefits will be tremendous for Baker. Yep, and Rashad's not going to get the ball if Baker doesn't have time to pass, and that's where we're headed with this next question. Mary Kay, you reported that uh, left tackle Greg Robinson is either headed towards the bench or has already been benched. Freddie Kitchens, of course, played it very close to the vest. Um, practice on Monday, talking to, re- to reporters. So this next question from area code 917, New York City. Mary Kay, why so much attention on replacing Greg Robinson and nothing about Chris Hubbard? Robinson is graded out slightly below average by PFF whereas Hubbard is bottom five tackle in the league. Do you think the problem is more Hubbard than Robinson? You know, I really don't. I really do think that uh, for whatever reason, and I've heard a number of different things, I think they want to shake things up over there at left tackle with Greg Robinson, not just because of what you see on a down-by-down basis. I've heard other little rumblings about just uh, some people thinking that, you know, maybe he's not, maybe he needs to pick it up a notch uh, in the preparation department in the work ethic department, you know, these are just little rumbling, sort of unsubstantiated things that I haven't really be able, been able to get to the point of being able to write them yet, you know, per source said. Um, but there, there have been some issues there with him. And I was told point blank last week, like you said, that he, that he had either been benched last week or he was about to get benched. I walked up to Greg. I tried to ask him about that. And he was pretty nice about it. And he just said, not right now. I will talk to you, but not right now. And I just kept digging and digging and digging, made more phone calls, another phone call after that, until I got someone to say, yeah, he's been benched or is going to be benched by next week. Now, the way that we see it is Justin McRae, a reserve offensive lineman who has only started two games at left tackle in his career. Uh, He could get the start there at left tackle. I personally think that's a big risk to do against Bill Belichick and this defense. Yeah, he's going to attack your weaknesses. That's for sure. Um, you know, Greg Robinson is a guy, number former number two pick, didn't work out in two other places. You know, you're kind of playing with fire going with him anyway. Um, can I spin this a different direction, though? Go are, for are, it. We sure, are we sure this is the offensive line's fault? Are we sure this is all on the offensive line? Nope. I mean, because I mean, I'm looking right now. Baker Mayfield is one, two, three, fifth in time to throw according to next gen stats i I mean i I think the line has struggled but part of this is on baker too right absolutely 100 percent. a lot of this is on baker mayfield and for some of the reasons that we mentioned before when he looks out there right now he doesn't always see what he loves why not because odell beckham jr and i griped about this the whole time was not around during otas and He missed a lot of training camp with a hip injury. Those two guys are not in sync yet. And Ellis, you've written about this. this, You've showed us on film with some of your film breakdowns how these guys are off the mark with each other. Uh, So OBJ, so Baker is looking out there. He's holding the ball a little bit longer than he should. He looks out there. Is Antonio Callaway there? No. Why? Because he's on suspension. Is Richard out there? No. Why? Because he's got a knee injury. So there have been issues for Baker. I think those issues will get better. But yes, some of this is his fault. Right. So there's two things going on there. And I think both of them boil down to trust. 
um, Mary Kay, as you alluded to, Baker Mayfield isn't trusting where Odell Beckham uh, is going to be on the football field, just like he's not trusting his tackles right now. Uh, playing quarterback, you can start to feel things and see things that aren't there. Sam Darnold last night <laughs> said he was seeing goals. You know, they were, he was mic'd there for that moment, and you saw the Patriots reacted to that. Um, so that's why I think this then gets brought back to the offensive line because that's something that can get, you'd hope, solved by shuffling it up. It's the one position group in football where cohesiveness, they're almost seen as uh, one unit protecting and providing running lanes rather than uh, just a group of players. And finding that right combination is so vital for the Browns going forward. And I want to ask you guys about this. If you guys got the same vibe I did from it, it really sounded like after that Seahawks game, that holding call on Greg Robinson to start the final drive, mm-hmm. really, Freddie won't admit he has a doghouse, but it sounded like that put Greg in there, right? Oh, absolutely, 100%. They're still talking about that holding call inside that building. When you couple that with, uh, and Freddie brought this up, uh, the fact that Greg Robinson kicked a player in the head in the opener and yeah. got kicked out of the opener. Yeah. That doesn't sit well with the Cleveland Browns. So he was still trying to dig his way out of the doghouse for that. And then he got this holding call. And so, yeah, Gre- Greg is struggling right now. So, and that brings us to our next question. And I think this is a question that I, I, I wanted to write about. And I might do that still going forward from the seven 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 three. The question is, if the current O-line backups weren't good enough to beat out the starters, then what good is plugging in now a backup on this O-line? Dan, when you hear that, what's your response? Well, if you're not happy with the guys starting, you got to try something, sure. and, and you have to go with the guys that you have. Um, and, and they went out and traded for Justin McCray, so he's a guy that wasn't here in camp. So may, you know, maybe with a full camp, he could have beaten out Greg Robinson. Uh, Wyatt Teller, they traded for him the day of the fourth preseason game, so you know, maybe he's a guy that could have won that right guard job, which I think is another area we're not really talking about a lot. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield was so good stepping up in the pocket last year, and if that pocket's not there because Eric Cush is getting beat, um, you know, it's not Kevin Zeitler there anymore. And they had probably three of the best interior linemen. They've got two of those three still. Um, it, it's harder to step up if you feel like your right guard isn't, you know, holding up his end of the bargain. So I think this is a little different scenario because they went out and traded for two guys, you know, one guy the day of the fourth preseason game, uh, another guy in the, in the cut down to 53. Those guys weren't going to come in and just start right away. So, you know, now we're going to maybe get a chance to see what one or both of those guys can do. Yeah, and we talk about Greg Robinson getting replaced at left tackle, and we're reasonably sure that that's going to happen. Although, you know, we can show up on Sunday and be completely surprised by what we see on the offensive line. But I think Eric Cush has as much of a chance of being benched as Greg Robinson. And I've heard that they want to plug Wyatt Teller in there. So there could be more of a shakeup on the offense. Yeah, I mean, you didn't trade for Wyatt Teller for no reason. Right. You, you traded for him because he really liked him, and he didn't have a job with the Bills, um, got beat out, but they really liked the guy that beat him out. So you didn't, you didn't give up an asset for Wyatt Teller because you wanted him to sit on the bench all season. Yeah, and so I don't know how we did this, but we've gone about 15 minutes without bringing up Trent Williams, mm-hmm. which is someone we've been talking about. It feels like for someone who's not on the team, it seems to be one of the only things we're talking about, him and Rashard Higgins, it seems. So the second part of this question, Mary Kay, is Trent Williams feels like a long shot. Is there any other options out there that you've heard of um, outside of this organization that John Dorsey could be entertaining? You know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of unemployed, great left tackles sitting around outside 
waiting for John Dorsey to come along and bring them in and give them a starting job with the Cleveland Browns. So imagine that, you know, there's just <laughs> not a lot of them. Uh, but yes, he is he's going hard after Trent Williams. How often did we hear the Giants say, we're not trading Odell Beckham Jr.? How often did we hear the Patriots say, we're not trading Jimmy Garoppolo? When someone comes along and makes you an offer you can't refuse, you have a tendency to go ahead and make a deal that you didn't want to make. Now, Bruce Allen, the president of the Redskins, is digging his heels in. He doesn't want to make a trade. He doesn't want to trade Trent Williams on Trent Williams' terms. But if you look around the NFL right now, players are doing things on their own terms. It is the year of NFL players deciding they're going to do it their way. They're not waiting for the new CBA to come along. They're holding out for a year. They're giving up millions and millions and millions of dollars to say, I am going to dictate my future. Well, Bruce Allen wants none of that. He wants this to be on his terms. But I don't think, um, you know, I do think that John Dorsey is going to keep working it. He's got a whole nother week. The deadline is a week from today. I wouldn't be shocked if it happens. I wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't, but I wouldn't be shocked if he pulls it off. Yeah, I mean, the problem you have is, you know, the Redskins are in such disarray right now. And who knows what they want to do with their head coach. If they hire a guy that doesn't like Dwayne Haskins, now they're in the quarterback market again. Uh, you know, so then maybe they would want a first-round pick. You know, there's just a lot of things to consider, uh, you know, kind of where the, the Redskins are right now and, and how much disarray they're in. But you've got to think, if, if you're coming up on the deadline and the Browns are willing to part with a first-round pick for the second straight year, Washington has to think about that. I mean, they, they almost have to because no matter what, they're going to want that extra pick at, at some point. Right. I mean, they have to rebuild. And if you let it, this go until January, then teams might find out a little bit more about Trent Williams than you might want them to know. I mean, he has had several procedures uh, to have some kind of a growth removed from his head. Now, hopefully for everyone involved, he's perfectly fine. And there are no health health issues with him. But teams might start to look into that a little bit and wonder. He's 31 years old. He's going to require a big, huge contract extension with a lot of guaranteed money. Teams at that point might decide, hey, why don't I just draft a left tackle in a couple of months and not have to pay him $15 million a year, give up a, you know, a first-round draft pick and another good player? So... You know, Bruce Allen might start to look at this and think the deal is starting to look a little bit better next Tuesday at noon. Yep. We'll talk a little more about Trent Williams moving forward. Uh, Mary Kay, this next question is for you from the 216. Um, publicly, from Dorsey to the players, people are saying all the right things about the Browns. But you're the one inside the locker room. What's your vibe? Is there unity? Have the players brought into Freddie Kitchens and his plan? You know, I really think they have for the most part. However, once you start losing football games, uh, that starts to erode a little bit. You know, the more you lose, the more little rumblings start to, to occur and you start to hear things. Uh, you know, and that's going to happen after if they lose to the Patriots this week to go to two and five. And the players really start to doubt that they are going to make the playoffs. That doubt starts to creep in. You'll hear more and more little things about how, uh, you know, maybe they're not enamored with the play calling or, you know, maybe they don't like the way they're working the rotation, the secondary rotation or something like that. Uh, so right now there's team unity and they're all still bought in and Freddie still has them. He has their full attention, their trust, their confidence. 
But if they lose this game, I, I think you could start to hear a few things. Yeah, I mean, I think the players still kind of believe that, you know, not like how fans are thinking, okay, get through this week and then you go on a run. But I do think they still believe that they can do something here in the second half. But, you know, like you said, you go out and you lose to New England by 25, 30 points, you know, and another 30-point loss. That starts to wear on guys. And you've got to go to Denver. You should win that game. But, you know, to me, that's the real danger zone. If for some reason you go out to Denver and you lose there or you come home and lose to the Bills – and all of a sudden, it really does start to slip away. Um, that That is when you, you're going to start to hear some things. Right now, I think players kind of understand there's too many penalties. There's things that are fixable. Uh, but at some point, it does come to a head if you don't start seeing wins. Well, think about this. Even in the week leading up to the Seahawks game, we had Miles Garrett wholeheartedly agreeing with Steve Wilkes that he gave them a bad game plan, quote, a bad game plan. It's shades of last year after the, right? the Pittsburgh game. Exactly, against the 49ers. And then, and you had Jarvis Landry standing up there at the microphone saying, hey, we're just not using our big-time playmakers enough. We need to get the ball more to me. We need to get the ball more to Odell Beckham Jr. So you're already hearing little things like that. Yeah, and one thing you know these players are doing is keeping an eye on the standings. Of course, the division is still in play, but the AFC continues to be the weaker division in this league, and there's a wild-card opportunity still alive. Also, now, like Dan said, a loss in New England, then Denver, things change very quickly in this league, and then if it becomes, okay, well, now the Ravens are three and a half, four games up, plus the wild-card looks a little murkier, Patrick Mahomes maybe returns earlier, the Raiders win some games. You're right, the sink infraction very quickly and definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, our next question from the D.C. area, longer one here. Uh, I'm a new subscriber, lifelong Browns fan who remembers my father coming home from the 64 championship game. He says, I've always tried to stay positive, even through the past 20 years. I want to know how the players really see Kitchens. We talked about that a little bit, but he continues uh, do they trust him? What is Dorsey thinking about his current choice? And Dorsey talked a little bit about that during his press conference. We can go into that. He ends with, is this team disciplined? Is there anyone in that building providing that? Dan, your thoughts? Well, it, it's it's hard to say they're disciplined when there's so many penalties. Yep. You know, when, when those sorts of things are happening and, and we keep hearing the same messages over and over again about – you know, we have to cut down on penalties and we don't like pre-snap penalties. All he doesn't stuff. coach penalties. You know, yeah, I mean, things. we heard that all training camp and then they come out and commit 18 penalties. <laughs> well, they commit more penalties than that, but they had 18 penalties accepted against them in that first game. Um, you know, John Dorsey was very complimentary of Freddie Kitchens, as, as you'd expect. I thought that whole press conference was just sort of a like a pep talk to the fan base yeah. more than anything. Um but look, anybody that's watching this team knows it doesn't look like it did last year when Freddie Kitchens was calling plays last year. There, there's no way to look at what we're seeing now and think, okay, this is the exact same thing that we saw over the last eight games. And, and I'm sure John Dorsey sees that too. And, and he kind of spoke to that a little bit when he was talking about, well, against Seattle, he did start to see some of that again. Um, so, you know, he probably hasn't been thrilled with what he's seen. He, he probably hopes it's turning. Uh, he's got a tough test though this week. Well, I think the thing that has been disturbing or alarming about the first part of the season is that they have been blown out in two of their games. And I think there is something to be said for not necessarily a moral victory, but if they can go into New England and at least keep it close, nobody really expects them to win this football game. But you can't go in there and get completely blown out for the third time this season. That is when 
confidence and trust in Freddie Kitchens will start to be shaken a little bit because this football team, this Cleveland Browns football team, should be able to. It has enough talent. John Dorsey has put enough uh, big-name stars on this football team that they should be able to go into New England and give Bill Belichick and the Patriots a really good, tough football game. If they can't do that, you have to start to question it. I mean, this is the 425 game. You got Jim Nance and Tony Romo calling it. You know, you don't want to get beat by 30 again for a for a national TV audience. You want you got to show something. You know, the, these guys aren't going to want to go out there and get boat raced again for a, a third time, especially again. You know, it happened against Tennessee. It was the the top one o'clock game. You had Nance and Romo. It happened on Monday Night Football. Now it's going to happen at 425 in Foxborough. That's not going to go well. Yeah, we've seen how uh, people are reacting to the Jets game last night, and uh, the sky will feel like it's falling if the Cleveland looks anything like New York did last night. Uh, on the same topic of the Patriots uh, from 330 area code, what do the Browns need to do to offset Belichick's nine in the box uh, like he did against Darnold? If the Browns don't do anything different, will the outcome be the same? So what he's referring to is there is Belichick uh, ran a lot of zero coverage last night, meaning no high safety. He's playing man-to-man defense across the board. And really, he's just going to blitz the heck out of Sam Darnold. And that, in the most simplest form, is him saying, my guys are better than your guys. We're going to get to the quarterback faster, really only allowing a release time of about one to one and a half seconds. And that one and a half is probably on the nicer side. And he thinks his DBs are better than what the Jets had. So my response to that question would be this. The way to beat it is... You know, you just you beat it with guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, playmakers that the Jets don't have. It'll be interesting to see if Bill Belichick is really willing to not have a safety over Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I'm fascinated to see that. Uh, going back and looking at how he's defended Odell Beckham Jr. in the past, you don't see much of that. It, it's really a, a <laughs> risky for many reasons, and you're really setting your defense up to fail. I know Stephon Gilmore is not only grading out as the best corner in football, he's he's playing like it. He knows where the ball's going before the receivers even do. ESPN highlighted him running uh, Robbie Anderson's route basically for him last night. So what I'm trying to say is that, yes, the Browns are going to be blitzed, but I would not expect a complete cookie-cutter defensive matchup from Belichick against the Browns because simply the personnel is different. Uh, Dan, do you see Bill Belichick uh, implementing similar things against the Jets or like New England does? Is Freddie going to prepare for one thing and see a completely different menu on Sunday? Um, I'm actually curious about this because, you know, as you were reading that question, I was thinking back to like what Tennessee did. Um, We've seen some other teams do this where they've tried to just get pressure with four and make Baker kind of sit back there and find his receivers um you know we heard from bill belichick at 9 a.m this morning you know not even 12 hours after that game ended he had his conference call and at one point he said that well we haven't even started prepping for the browns but then all of a sudden he rattled off yeah names on the browns you wouldn't expect a coach to rattle off with four days of prep so bill belichick is ready for this team he knows how he wants to attack this team already even after that jets game was you hadn't even been over for 12 hours um and i'm curious to see if they will blitz as much as they did against sam darnold uh, you know i think that was more a result of this is how we want to attack this guy but we've got to attack baker mayfield differently and one of the things he pointed out was odell beckham is a guy that can ruin a game plan just like he, right. he said about miles garrett they are guys that can ruin game plans and you've, you've got to be cautious about that 
Well, the thing that uh, Bill Belichick has, has always done since way, way back when is he will circle that player in red that he needs to take out of the football game, really on both sides of the ball, uh, and he will set about doing that. So that will be his major game plan, is to make sure that OBJ doesn't wreck his game plan. So yeah. you might see that safety over the top that you're talking about because they do have to play him differently than you might play anybody that plays for the Jets. They will blitz Baker Mayfield because they're going to do everything they possibly can to confuse him and to mess him up like some other defenses have done this season. Smart defensive coordinators are showing one look pre-snap and then switching it up post-snap and really trying to confuse him. And if you think that Greg Williams did that to him, Bill Belichick is going to have some things in store for Baker Mayfield. He's amazing. I think you had a stat in our exclusive Browns Football Insider today that the Patriots are 20-0 and against first and second year signal callers. So Bill Belichick is going to have some things dialed up. Not yeah. only that, he's got the horses this year. He hasn't always had a great yeah. defense. This year he does. Not only does he have some of the horses, some of the horses are really going to be mad at the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Collins, okay? Yep. He's got an axe to grind. Jason McCourty's got an axe to grind. Danny Shelton's got an axe to grind, right? <laughs> so these guys are going to be out for blood and they're not going to care that they're have that they had a short week. And, th and that's what he does so well, too. You know, when they acquired Danny Shelton, he wasn't even really playing that much. And then you get to the Super Bowl, and Danny Shelton is out there having some huge impact. And then, you know, you've got Jason McCourty, who's playing well. And then his brother, of course, is one of the best safeties in football. So um, it, this is going to be a, a challenging test for this team. Um, going forward now, next question from the 734 um, are the Browns considering using more two tight end formations to help the line uh, and just using Odell Jarvis and Nick Chubb? Um, earlier in the year, the Browns got into a lot, running a lot of 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end. Uh, I will credit Freddie Kitchens. He's been implementing more variation in his uh, lineups, um, in his packages. We've seen even as many as three tight ends and not just in goal line situations. Um, so I think Kitchens, who got a little too in love with the three wide receiver sets early has been mixing it up enough i know they were at like 83 percent through uh, the first two weeks and now they're closer to more balance in a 54 percent uh when implementing 11 um so i think going forward you can expect coach kickens to mix that up the problem with this team though running 12 is you do it for the deception of running the football but i'm not sure this club has two tight ends they fully trust um so where I want to go with this is do you think David Njoku coming back is another piece that this team is truly missing? And until that happens, Ricky Seals-Jones has made the most of his pass-catching opportunities, but is there a second tight end on this team that you think can emerge going forward? You know, I mean, I you might see more two tight end formations in this game perhaps because they might need to use a tight end to help chip yeah. – uh, Justin McCray and give him a little help if he is starting at left tackle. If they feel like they need to help out either one of their tackles, Chris Hubbard, if he still is even the right tackle uh, on this on Sunday, uh, they might have to give one of those guys some extra help. And therefore, uh, you might see another tight end on the field uh, at some times. But I think that one of the things this team will do uh, I think they're going to try to run more of an up-tempo offense. I think they might try to do something so that they can keep 
certain personnel on the field so that they can try to prevent uh, Bill Belichick's defense from substituting. But trying to confuse <laughs> Bill Belichick <laughs> is going to be really, really difficult. Uh, but I think that's one way they might do it is just try to pick up the pace a little bit and, and try to do something different. And you've, you've written a lot about yeah, I mean, tempo the, and pace. The, the pace has been really bad this year. And, and I feel like they haven't done enough no huddle. I think when, when Baker Mayfield has, when he's in no huddle, you know, it's not college. You're not going to run no huddle all game. You're not going to, you know, snap the ball with 30 seconds on the play clock. But when Baker Mayfield's in no huddle, he goes up to the line. He has a chance to look things over and sort of, you know, not be the play caller, but be the guy that gets to decide what to do, audible into something. And it's worked in times. And I just think the pacing hasn't been there. And I don't know if it's because Freddie Kitchens is struggling with all the responsibilities of, of being a head coach or, or what, but there, there's just something something off when it comes to the pace this team is playing at. Um, and, and the other thing about the 12 personnel, and Ellis, you wrote about this, this team has been effective in empty backfields. And I think 12 personnel limits, if you have two tight ends on the field, that's a receiver you don't have on the field. And we already have talked about Rashard Higgins not playing enough. And you know, how do you get all these receivers on the field? When Kareem Hunt comes back, how do you get those guys on the field? Well, when you have two tight ends, that's one less skill position player you can have on the field. And the thing also about um, trying the up-tempo, no, no huddle and things like that, um, I agree with you, Dan, that I think they need to do that. But on the road, in a hostile environment, when there's going to be a lot of noise, putting a lot of uh, responsibility on Baker Mayfield in that situation when he has been struggling and not playing all that well, uh, you have to wonder, if is that the right time to pull it out? Yep, that's what the bye week's for. Hopefully Freddie Kitchen comes out with something uh, that, you know, as we said, trying to trick Bill Belichick might be difficult, but uh, that is different. Looks uh, some variety here. That's what we have for our Football Insider questions, getting a hold of Mary Kay. Again, through Football Insider, that's how you get your questions on this podcast. We're going to take a quick break before we dive into our other topics. All right, we are back on the Orange and Brown podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Williams, joined here by Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, we're going to do something here for you guys, a little trivia for you, trying to guess a player that uh, has ties to the Browns and has something to do with this upcoming opponent. So let's start with this first clue. Who am I? This player was drafted in the first round. All right, that really narrows stuff down for you guys, okay? It could be a lot of guys. All right, so we only have uh, a pool of thousands of players to pick from. All right, if that hint wasn't enough, we got this next one here. As I said earlier, this player played three seasons for the Cleveland Browns. You know, one of the hallmark franchises in the league, so you know, the history is pretty wide there, but three solid years in Cleveland. Any guesses yet from you two? Any guesses? How many years did Josh Gordon officially toll? <laughs> I guess he was, he wasn't a first round pick though, so I guess he's out. There you go. There you he go. He played for one season. It just took six years to <laughs> get it go. in. <laughs> so it might not be Josh in that supplemental draft. So, all right, clue number three. I play for the Patriots, as I alluded to earlier. So we're narrowing down a little bit here. There's Cleveland and New England ties here. Currently on the active roster for the Patriots. Any guesses? Well, there's a lot of former Browns. <laughs> yeah. Bill Belichick has a thing for former Cleveland Browns players. He's very nostalgic in that way. Danny Danny Shelton made it three years, right? Mm-hmm. The connection is deep. All right, now getting a little more personal. Narrow it down here. This should get a little, little more info for you guys. Uh, my wife and I, this player, have seven kids. 
Does Philip Rivers play I for the <laughs> Patriots now? Yep, yep. Philip's, Philip's getting up there. So, all right, just to re- rehash these. Draft in the first round, played three seasons for the Browns, currently on the Patriots roster, and his wife and, and him have seven kids. Dan, do you know? Not yet. Not you don't yet. have it yet? Okay, let's keep Not going. Yet. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, this player traveled to Iraq and Afghanistan to visit the U.S. troops. Uh, notable there. So, again, traveled to Iraq and Afghanistan to visit the U.S. troops. Seven kids between his wife and him. Played for the Patriots. Drafted by the Browns and a first-rounder. All right, this one should narrow it down pretty All right. pretty easily for you guys here. This player turns 39 in December. Has right. he had three or four concussions? That's, I think I think yeah I think I've got a guess. Was he, Go ahead, was he also got... recently cut by the Patriots and then brought back? It's like you wrote this list. Who do you got? <laughs> uh, we'll go Ben Watson. Ding ding ding! There you go, Ben Watson. Uh, played three years in Cleveland from 2010 to 2012. Um, he played his first six years as a New England Patriot. Um, spent some time in time in New Orleans. Really a longevity is really the beauty of his career there. Um, not that he's climbed the record books like, say, Frank Gore has, but Ben Watson, a guy who uh, your surprise is still in the league at that point. Um, so that's why that last hint may have got it for you turning 39 in December. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. We're going to transition now here into – we want to do, after the bye week, look at the state of the Cleveland Browns. Um, having that time off is really a reset for everyone uh, beat writers and people in the facility included. So let's talk about this Trent Williams trade. It's been looming over the franchise now for a couple weeks. Uh, on Cleveland.com, there was a poll up today saying just simply, um, should the Browns make this trade happen? Uh, as of this afternoon, 43% of you were not interested, uh, felt that the Browns' future at tackle could be found through the draft, while 3% of you say, do anything possible to get them. So two two ends of the extreme right there. Uh, first, Dan, I want to ask you, where do you land in all this? Is there a price uh, too steep for Trent Williams? This is a guy they need to have, or is offensive line something they should build through the draft? I'm, I'm going to learn from my mistake uh, a year ago uh, because I, I said don't trade for Amari Cooper. Mary Kay, you probably remember me railing <laughs> against trading. Don't give up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. I watched him with the Raiders, and he dropped a bunch of passes, and, and he wasn't the guy that we thought he would be at this level. He gets traded to Dallas, and all he's done is catch the football and make Dak Prescott look really good. So I'm going to learn from my mistake, and I'm going to say if it all, all it takes is a first-round pick, I say go for it. Go and get a good player. I, are you going to get a better guy in the first round at where the Browns want to be picking? I say go for it. If if you have to give up more than like a first round pick, you have to give up two first round picks. That's probably where I draw the line. But I'm, I'm going to learn my lesson here. You know, I'm also going to say go for it, even if it takes a first round pick and a really good player, preferably a player that has a really high salary. So you can unload, unload one of those big salaries because you're going to have to pay Trent Williams a lot of money to bring him here, as we have said before. But... You're going to need a left tackle. I think they have determined that Greg Robinson is not their guy. It means they need one. Why not go out and get a seven-time Pro Bowler? And at the age of 31, I think he has at least a good four years left. I think it's worth it. I would do it. So why do we seem to fall on this 3% while 43% of people who voted are not interested? So I want to talk directly to the listeners here. What is everyone afraid of? I'm willing to bet that... If a trade like this solidified left tackle, which it would, the tape, 
and his resume, Trent Williams, speaks for itself. And that makes Cleveland a playoff team or playing into the AFC Championship game. I think you guys would give up anything for that opportunity. Speaking to the fans here, there's no price too high for that. And also, as I've talked about earlier, it gives this group a fair evaluation of both first-year head coach Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield. So when I bring that up to you guys, what is really the downside of this trade? And what do you think fans are so afraid of? I think people love draft picks. They love the potential of draft picks because it's, you know, it's an abstract. Keep this draft pick. You're going to pick this player and he's going to turn into this. And we know for a fact that that doesn't always happen, especially when you get out of the top 10, top 15. And again, if the Browns want to get where they want to get, they're going to be picking in the 20s. You know, this isn't the NBA draft. You can still get a good player in the 20s. Right. But people love draft picks. They get a little nervous about giving up draft picks. It would be the second year in a row that the Browns gave up a draft pick. But if you're really going for it, you got this quarterback on a rookie on a rookie scale contract. Th- this is going for it. And we, we've seen what the L.A. Rams do. And I do think it sends a message to your roster. Hey, we just gave something up. We gave up a future asset to bring in this piece. We're all in. I, I think that says something to the players in that locker room. Well, you know, I think if you were trying to convince the fans that this was something uh, that they should be on board with, uh, you can make the points that, look, John Dorsey wanted to awaken this sleeping giant. He got Baker Mayfield. He's trying to surround Baker Mayfield with every single thing he needs to be successful. He gave him Odell. He gave him Jarvis. He even gave him his childhood friend in Garrett Gilbert to be his backup quarterback so he could have a buddy in the quarterback room. Uh, you know, left tackles are really hard to project. You could go out and use a first-round pick on one, and he could become a bust. Look what happened with Austin Corbett, who you picked with the number 33 overall pick. So I would say, you know, look at a proven seven-time Pro Bowler, give up that first-round pick, and let's roll, boys. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And it feels as if John Dorsey is trying to play a little catch-up here. Um, he came into the year, I think, a little over not a little he came in overconfident in, his, in this group, uh, made some moves that did not work out, as you just mentioned with Austin Corbett, uh, and now there's a price to pay. And if that price is a first and another high pick, maybe a player, uh, you've backed yourself into this corner, and rarely when you do that is there a way out. Like John Dorsey said, it takes two to tango, but I think there is an avenue out of this corner John Dorsey's backed himself into. So moving on, again, the bye week feels like a time to reset, and Freddie Kitchens was very vocal about this team, almost putting the responsibility and the urgency on, saying that this team is at a crossroad. So I want to quickly look at uh, the real re- chance that the Browns go into New England and they lose. They moved to 2-5. and five. Is that going to be a state of panic, or is there a real avenue that this Browns team can still make the playoffs? I don't think it's a state of panic you're three games behind Baltimore in that case. And and then you've got to fight for a wild card with the bills and maybe the Raiders and some other teams. But I mean, you said it, Ellis, this is the AFC is the weak conference and the Browns are still probably, if they did a a playoff graphic, the Browns would probably still be in the hunt. If if you extended it enough, this second half schedule has some wins on it. There's some tough games. The bills are a tough game. I think a lot of people said that was a win. That's a tougher game than people thought the Cardinals I don't know what the Cardinals are. They're coming off a win. We'll see what they are when the Browns play them in the middle of December. You've got Miami. 
who doesn't want to win games? Cincinnati twice. Cincinnati doesn't want to win, or at least they shouldn't want to win at this point. The Steelers, I think, are tougher than people are giving them credit for. But you play them twice. If you can split with them or take both of those games, you're in really good shape. You play the Ravens again, so you can make that three-game lead. If you lose this week, you can you have a path to get that to two, and then everything else sort of has to play out. So I, I think the Browns are still in this thing, even if they lose this weekend. You know, I agree with you because when I look at the rest of the Ravens' schedule, I mean, it is unbelievable. Yep. The Browns have already come through the Bermuda Triangle in their own schedule, and now they're going to head on to Easy Street in those final seven games. Now, it's not going to be, as Butch Davis used to say, a walk in the cake, but <laughs> I do think that there are a lot of victories to be had. Again, two against the Bengals, one against the tanking Dolphins. They should at least win one against the Steelers. So I think that the Browns have some victories to come. When I look at the Ravens' schedule the rest of the way, it's unbelievable. I mean, there's really only one piece of cake game left for them, and that is the Bengals. They come back after their bye week this week. They play the Patriots, then the Bengals, then they've got the Texans. They've got the Rams, the 49ers, the Bills, the Jets, who of course looked horrible last night. Then they finish it out against the Browns and the Steelers. So for me, in my mind, you know, I think they have to win uh, at least four more games to, to win the AFC North. They've got to win four more games uh, and I think they can do that. And I don't think at this point at, at two and five, if the Browns go to two and five, I think a wild card is going to be really hard. I think they have to win the division to make the playoffs. Yeah, the, I mean, the wild card picture is murky. I didn't mention either of the teams in the AFC South. You got the Texans and the Colts, who one of those teams is probably going to win the division and the other should make the playoffs as a wild card. And like I said, the Bills, the Raiders are still in the mix. Playing for wild cards is really difficult. You've got to try and win this division. And it's still there for the Browns. Uh, but the Ravens, they're going to have a chance to prove that they're for real. They, they play the Patriots next. So I, I, I'm really curious about that game. I'm really curious to see Bill Belichick go against Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and they went out and they got Marcus Peters, a cornerback who made an impact in his very first game against the Seahawks by picking off Russell Wilson and returning it 67 yards for a touchdown. That really helped them win that game. So they've gotten better since the Browns played them. They did not have Jimmy Smith that game, their starting cornerback. He should be back when the Browns play him. He, he should be back probably within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Now they've got Marcus Peters. They didn't have their Pro Bowl defensive tackle in Brandon Williams that game. Uh, so he's, their, their defense is playing much better than they did. I keep waiting for the Ravens to kind of, you know, go in the tank here a little bit, but I, I don't know. They keep surprising me. Yeah, and and that same note, uh, a s signature win for Lamar Jackson – on Sunday, going to Seattle, beating Russell Wilson. Uh, you alluded to the Marcus Peters interception. Huge game swinging play there. But on fourth down, Lamar Jackson convinces his coach to go for it and keeps it himself and scores. Um, plays like that catapult Lamar into an MVP discussion, and really it felt like a signature moment for him. So, Mary Kay, I agree that this Ravens team seems to be uh, not nearing a peak, but trending very much in the right direction, getting healthier. And if Lamar keeps, you know, a week ago, the sayings were that the book was out on Lamar, and now it seems he's reinvented himself and is the hardest person to tackle in football. So we'll see which Lamar Jackson maintains through the second half of the year. But to update listeners uh, for the wild card situation, we have the Bills sitting at 5-1, and one, the Colts, Texans, Jaguars, um, Really a murky situation there. Even the Titans are all in it in the AFC South there. Colts 4-2, Texans 4-3, and three, 
Jacksonville three and four, Tennessee three and four. Looks like switching to Ryan Tannehill has benefited them. Um, and then in the AFC West, you're looking at the Chiefs at five and two, likely will win that division. Patrick Mahomes sounds like he'll return sooner rather than later. And then you have an Oakland Raiders team that was blown out in Green Bay. But if you watch that game, uh, me being from Minnesota area, I tend to keep an eye on what the Packers are doing more closely. Uh, the Raiders were in that game. That team can play this year. They're not the laughing stock that, for whatever reason, people think John Gruden uh, is or the character that he is. So the wild card situation is murky, as Dan said. And also the Ravens are hitting a point here where they look like they're finding a stride. So Cleveland is running out of real estate here. But as we said, the schedule does get easier. So I think there's a real opportunity here and real optimism for the Browns. And, hey, if they go to New England and win that football game, crazier things have happened in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't expect it to happen, but we have seen much crazier things happen in the NFL. We've, we've seen this Browns team back in the Eric Mangini days beat the Patriots when they weren't supposed to. Peyton Hillis had a, had a huge afternoon. So anything can happen in the NFL. It's a week-to-week league. I think that game got him on the Madden cover, by the way. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot, of, a lot of my buddies back home, big Peyton Hillis fans. That <laughs> game is a large reason for it. So uh, I want to throw this to you guys uh, just quickly. We've you know touched on the offensive line. With this bye week, what are two things that you hope Freddie Kitchens and his coaching staff were cooking up, working on uh, with their time off and hopefully can implement in the second half of the season? Well, we brought it up a little bit earlier, and that is more of an up-tempo offense, yeah. uh, giving uh, the Patriots and other teams just uh, an opportunity to have to adjust to the Browns' pace, for them to try to take it to defenses, establish uh, their own identity and their tempo of the football game, and I would like to see them do some more of that. Just identifying a couple things that have stood out that are worth keeping an eye on. Um, a uh, The Seahawks player that blocked that punt, said that they knew they were going to get one 100% because they saw something on film that said you can block a punt. Is that going to continue or did they fix that? Uh, I think it was Shaq Griffin that said the Browns are really predictable on offense. This is stuff you can say after you win a football game. It's easier said than done. Are, Are these little predictable things getting fixed? Things that teams are seeing on film to exploit? Or are you fixing those those things? Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how the Browns spent their bye week as the product they put out on the field. As I said, bye weeks are an opportunity for not only teams to recharge, but also the beat writers that cover them. So what I want to do here is just ask, what is life like on the beat? I don't think fans get enough opportunity to understand what it's like covering a professional football team and one like the Cleveland Browns. So first, Dan, I want to ask you just how's life on the beat and how'd you spend your bye week? Uh, watch too much football, probably, especially on Sunday. Uh, just trying to keep up with, uh, you, you know, you try to keep up with what's going on around the league and you get opportunities to watch these games live. You do it. And I think my kids were a little surprised how much I actually like watching football. Cause I'm not usually home on Sundays to, to watch a bunch of football. So I did that, uh, hit Mapleside farms, which is a big pumpkin patch. And no, I did not go by myself. <laughs> I did hit the big slide. It's like 311 feet. You get in a potato sack or something and slide down the slide. So we did that, and I rode the cow train, me and my daughter. So, yeah, all of that typical stuff. Did you work, Dan? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we always? Aren't we always? Yes. Mary Kay, how about you? What were you up to? You know, I went to Chicago this weekend, so I traveled on my bye weekend. Uh, it was family weekend at DePaul where my freshman daughter is a comedy arts major uh, at DePaul in conjunction with Second City. It's the first year of a new program there. So we went and spent some time with my daughter and then uh, my son came and 
met us there from Miami University. So we had a, a great time with the family, rooftop restaurants, uh, just going out to dinner and having a wonderful time. And uh, yeah, speaking about, yeah, we are actually living out of suitcases right now. The Browns are in the midst of, this is a weird schedule, four out of five on the road right yep. now. Most of their road games came in the first half of the season. Now, in the second half, we've got four out of five at home. So we will reacquaint ourselves with our families and our pets and things like that. Uh, but for right now, uh, we really don't know which end is up. I hear that. Dan, uh, speaking of the travel, you guys are headed to New England. Uh, I heard you kind of voicing some concern about just getting around and getting everything situated. Um, have you figured all that out yet? Sort of, not really. One of the things that, that you find with NFL stadiums, and we just seem to have a lot of these this year. Some of these stadiums are in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So, like San Francisco is not in San Francisco. Right. It's in Santa Clara. It's really hard to get to Santa Clara. <laughs> uh, Foxborough is not really close to Boston. It's not really close to Providence. So you got to figure out how to get there and back. Sometimes it's nice you get to like New Orleans. We only get to go there once every eight years. Right downtown, so you can walk there. Baltimore, you can walk there. We, we've had some tough stadiums, so I'm still trying, kind of trying to figure out how to get around once I get in there. I know how I'm getting there. Sure. I just don't know how I'm going to get where I need to get. It's once a good I'm start. There. Yeah. In, in talking about life on the beat, I'm going to throw it back a little bit. Uh, since we're talking about Bill Belichick, uh, very briefly, I'll, I'll just remind folks that I had an opportunity. I got invited by Bill Belichick and a few other uh, staff members to go on their private jet and go to a draft visit. And then when we got off the plane, uh, Bill Belichick drove around, played his head-banging music, went to the barber. I mean, it was just bizarre Incredible. to see, you know, that side of him. Uh, of course, he's, like, great friends with John Bon Jovi, who yeah. he actually brought to practice one day, so we all got to meet him there. Uh, so just lots and lots of memories of covering Bill Belichick, and I wrote about it at one point, and if I can find it, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and throw that back out there and, and tweet that out this week. Just uh, some memories of what it was like to spend those five years covering him. I was going to say, you know, this is probably a, a whole separate podcast on its own, but uh, you've got an exclusive look at Bill Belichick uh, that most don't get. And, you know, before the age of Twitter, when he just became this meme and this, you know, stale faced person, um, is the Bill Belichick that we see that he projects the real Bill Belichick, or what was it like seeing a little bit behind the scenes? And you mentioned his music and the, the haircut. Is he? Is there a lot more to him than than meets the eye? Well, there is, but he only shows that to certain people. Sure. Uh, to his assistant coaches, to his family members, you know, he's warm and he's funny. But he was the exact same way. That Bill Belichick that you see standing up at the podium now is the same exact one that we had back then. And I've got so many stories and, yeah. and things like that. Uh, it was an incredible time. It was pretty evident back then that he was something special, that his staff was something special. Yep. And it's funny because guys like Nick Saban were on that staff. And right. to this day, you know, I've got a great relationship with Nick Saban. I remember we went to the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago, and Nick always shows up at the Senior Bowl. And there was, you know, there were like 100 reporters around him trying to, you know, get a question in. And he parted the Red Sea so that I could move up front and be closer and get a question in. So it's just funny that we all have these memories of those years. Yeah, and that's what I find so interesting, and I hope that's what we're able to do with this life on the beat. Um, there's just so much that goes on in this profession, and being able to share that with you guys is something I hope you find interesting and 
as we were talking about Bill Belichick, uh, something he's made quite famous is no days off, as Mary Kay alluded to, even during the bye week, we're, we're still working. Um, so I want to take a quick second here just to uh, get listeners a feel of what we have cooking next, um, stories they can expect uh, leading up to game day. Uh, Dan, what do you have working on right now? Well, you mentioned the cream hunt thing that I wrote yesterday. That's uh, that's something people should go check out, how the Browns might end up using him. Uh, I've been fishing around a little bit, asking guys sort of about tr- you know the NFL trade market and how it's changing. Could the league ever be you know the NBA? We'll kind of see where that goes and, and see if guys have some interesting things to, to say about that because we are seeing a, a change in the NFL approach to team building. Uh, so, we'll, so we'll kind of see where that goes. And then, of course, just anything that, that happens this week regarding the Patriots. Yeah, I was going to say, Mary Kay, you go where the news goes. Where do you anticipate the news going this week? Well, Wednesdays, we always check in with Baker Mayfield, and sometimes we talk to Odell Beckham Jr. That's always a huge day. We love talking to those guys. There are always headlines, always stories. But this week, you know, you want to talk to a lot of people about Tom Brady, and guys are already saying really good stuff about what it's like to go against arguably the greatest of all time. So that will be a big storyline this week. That's some stuff to look forward to. And not going to leave myself out of this. You know, believe it or not, I'm not just a podcast host. I'm actually writing for this this website too. So um, I've got a feature on Eric Murray coming up later in the week. Uh, Eric is a defensive back for the Browns, of course, who has stepped up uh, in the absence of guys like Denzel Ward and Grady Williams. So it was fun sitting down with him, uh, talking with uh, his former high school coach and things like that, that uh, his journey that's got him here to this point. He has experience against Tom Brady twice, most notably in the AFC Championship game last year. Uh, So we talked about that and what he can hopefully bring to the Browns meeting rooms and on the field as they prepare for the Patriots. So we're going to wrap up here pretty soon. Uh, Before we get out of here, I just want to quickly get your guys' predictions for this game. Not that I need a concrete score and I understand these things uh, are in flux as we get closer to Sunday. Um, but after seeing what the Patriots did on Monday and knowing what the Browns look like before the bye week, um, I have a feeling we kind of have a, a sense of where this may go. So, Dan, which way are you leaning? I've got to pick the Patriots. I, I can't pick the Browns in this game. I, I do think it's going to be closer than maybe some people expect. I think I saw the line had moved out to 13. I feel like that's a little high. I, I could see the Patriots winning by a couple scores, but I do think the Browns coming off the bye week, I don't know if Belichick's really going to – pile onto this team i still don't know about that patriots offense just yet they kind of stalled last night a little bit as the game went along that defense is so good though i I think that's going to be good enough to to beat the browns fairly handily maybe a 10 point difference let's go uh 24 14 mary Kay. well i'm i'm also going to pick the patriots i don't really have a score yet but a couple things real quick when i was watching that game last night Tom Brady was he looked so upset uh, at the end of the game and you could tell he was not happy with the offensive performance they had five takeaways in that game he wasn't happy with the fact that they only won 33 to nothing he looked worried I think he was already thinking about Miles Garrett and this Browns defensive front but I think that Patriots defense is so dominant and are so many guys on that defense that are going to want a piece of Baker Mayfield and a piece of the Cleveland Browns, I think they're going to be relentless and they're going to come after them. Therefore, I do think it's going to come down to turnovers. I think the Patriots will probably get some. I could see them scoring 30 points and the Browns may be in the 13 neighborhood. Mary Kay, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought ESPN did a great job of panning from a disgruntled-looking Brady on the bench as the clock is ticking down, and then you see Bill Belichick, all smiles, 
proud of what he the defensive performance he just put on. Uh, not saying that Belichick roots for his defense and enjoys when his offense is uh, average, if you will, but he, the faces said it all there that Brady knows that this offense isn't where it needs to be, and the Browns present some real challenges defensively. Um, the story, of course, is going to be this Patriots defense coming for Baker Mayfield, already leading the league in interceptions with 11. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes. So how I think this game plays out is I'm not quite sure on the score yet. You know, Vegas tends to be good at what they do. Patriots likely win by close to 10, 12 points. But what I think is so important for Cleveland is they need to hold a lead in this game. They need to put some fear in the Patriots and just show everyone that, look, we can hang with these guys. I know there's no such thing as moral victories, but when you're dealing with something like the Patriots, uh, that is probably the one place you can pull a moral victory. So if, if the Browns can have a grasp on this game for maybe a quarter and a half, two quarters, and just stay in it and maybe have a chance to win at the end, I think, similar to how they did with the Los Angeles Rams, I think that would go a long way. So um, we're still a few days away from sunday but a lot to look forward to as we said on our website so uh we're gonna wrap up here i want to thank you guys for listening of course uh subscribe to football insider so you can get your questions here on this podcast with our exclusive insider mary Kay cabot that is how you get your questions to her and on this podcast we love exchanging those with you guys so please subscribe again football insider click the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns we look forward to reading your questions. For Ellis Williams, Dan Lobby, and Mary Kay Cabot, we're signing off. Thanks for listening, you guys.